Welcome to Voices, a podcast from the Institute for Human Rights and Business. Here, we're seeking to elevate the range of perspectives on the role of business in the world and in people's everyday lives. Hello, everybody. This is Salil Tripathi from the Institute for Human Rights and Business. And I'm speaking today with Vani Saraswati, who is a director of special projects at the Migrant uh, Rights uh, Group, uh, which basically works on uh, domestic workers and migrant workers who work abroad outside South Asia. First of all, tell me what does your organization do? Uh, we are a GCC-based organization, a, a bilingual advocacy portal, um, so in English and Arabic. So we research and report on issues of migration, labor migration to the Gulf, primarily from Asia, but also from East Africa. And we do advocacy on the ground with agents, businesses, governments, and embassies. You have worked for some time on this issue of migrant workers, and you've even written a blog for us in the past and raised the issues that are critical in this regard. But obviously, a lot has changed in the last few weeks and months after the COVID-19 crisis um, about how migrant workers are actually affected in the informal sector in the Gulf region. And you've in the past written about that there is a de facto segregation of expatriates and migrant workers in any case and the local population. So given those realities and given the reality in which the domestic workers tend to be hospital support staff, drivers, cleaners and so on, which are largely invisible in this kind of a setup, what what is the current situation? How are they affected? So if you look at uh, domestic workers and those who fall outside of the labor law, those are the agricultural workers, fishermen, um, domestic workers, in some cases, cleaning company workers as well. And uh, many of the domestic workers, except in Saudi, are female. And the cleaning sector in the region is also highly feminized. Uh, In the best of times, they are still isolated and invisible. And what's happened now is that situation has just gotten worse. So the kind of information we are getting from these workers, the ones that we are able to speak to, the groups that work with them, is their hours have gotten even longer, where earlier they used to work anywhere between 12 to 15 hours. Now it's even higher. Usually we find overworking uh, during Ramadan, and it's a huge problem where origin country embassies struggle with workers who leave abusive employment conditions during the month of Ramadan. So now you have that and the COVID crisis. And on top of that, countries themselves in the Gulf trying to send back nationals. Now, not all of the domestic workers are aware of their rights or what the regulations are or how to protect themselves because the messaging that's being put out still has to go through their employer. Now, this is a big issue because the employers tend to control what information reaches the worker and, you know, what is appropriate. They decide what is the appropriate information for the worker uh, in such a way that it doesn't affect the work itself for them. Um, So, of course, we're hearing a lot about overworking, non-payment, because employers are not getting paid or there is a delay and they pass on that liability and burden to the domestic workers. Even though they are paid very little, anywhere between 200 to $300, um, even a 10% cut is something that they can't afford. And Mm. those who are being paid are not able to remit money back home because they are not included in the financial systems. They are not included in the wage protection systems in the Gulf. 
which applies to other migrant workers. So even if they receive money, remitting money back home is becoming a problem. Um, so very broadly, these are the specific issues, apart from the fact that they don't have enough protective gear, they are exposed to more bleach and chemical cleaning substances, they are the frontline staff within homes, so if someone falls ill, they are taking care of them regardless of what impact it has on their own health. Uh, and communication with their families as well. So we hear from families saying they haven't heard from their, you know, um, daughters or wives in the Gulf because either they haven't been allowed to call or they don't have money on their phone. So it's many layers of problems, which always exists, but has gotten worse because of the current situation. So we are talking about business and human rights here. And many of the workers that you mentioned tend to work in the private space. I mean, they're working for individuals. Those individuals may be local nationals or they may be expatriates themselves hired by companies. So what role do you think companies have in this situation and um, why should it intervene in the private space of the employee? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is something that businesses often raise with us when we talk to them about um, domestic workers, why they need to speak to their executives, to their staff. I'll give you one example. There are various reasons they need to be. But in the Gulf especially, say in a country like Qatar, if you want to employ a domestic worker, your sponsor, your kafil, has to give you um, a no-objection certificate. That's the only way you can in turn sponsor a worker if you're a foreigner. Now, that is the first line, right, where the company also becomes in a way liable because they've given permission to their staff to hire a domestic worker, a live-in worker. Secondly, you're giving special allowances that allows those workers, uh, your staff, to recruit workers. Your housing, for instance, if it's a company housing that you're providing and, you know, it's a, you've hired an entire compound, you're an oil company, you've entered, uh, hired an entire compound, there are quarters for domestic workers. So you kind of are feeding into that system. You're paying for it in a way. Mm. So you do have some responsibility uh, to educate your staff and to hold them liable when there is very extreme abusive practices. Now, if you are the you know, main employer and you know that you know, a manager in your company is sexually or physically abusing someone or forcing them to work against their wishes, those are uh, by even even by the laws of those lands, um, criminal charges. So you will be called in as well. Your mandup or your PRO is going to be stepping in to help your staff get out of the situation. Um, and apart from all of these reasons, also because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes the problem is the laws. The, the Gulf countries are not very transparent. They don't make very clear what the laws are, what the liabilities are. And that is what we try to break down in our advocacy. We work with a law firm. We try to break that down. We try to make that information available for individual households. So when they take the decision to hire someone, they know what exactly their obligations are. And we're just merely asking businesses to pass on that information. And we have had some successes. There is an example, which is not our advocacy effort, uh, within Beirut, for instance, the American University of Beirut, yes. is very strict with their guidelines. 
for staff who live on their campus who hire domestic workers. Mm -hmm. So there are very strict guidelines that they have to follow or action will be taken. Now, we we don't have that kind of success in the Gulf, but there are businesses that have incorporated this part of it, you know, information on this into the code of conduct, into their policies, internal policies. Uh, Most of them are international companies working in the Gulf, I must say. They are not local businesses. But it's a work in progress, and we are hoping that this conversation takes place at many levels, including uh, businesses. And I would imagine, since you mentioned the American University in Beirut, I mean, New York University has campus in Abu Dhabi, I believe. And I think it's the kind of thing that can become a trendsetter that other academic institutions, even if they are not profit-for-profit companies, but they are private entities, um, can make such things more uh, widely known and... uh, intervene where necessary. Uh, Absolutely. So New York, since you mentioned NYU AD, they do have uh, policies uh, yeah. for their staff who live on campus, right. uh, who hire domestic workers. And there are lots of American universities across the Gulf. Some of them are just stricter about it, but most of them are trying to uh, sensitize their uh Because even for the Western expats coming in, this is probably the first time they have an experience hiring a worker. Correct. Or having some. So, you know, it's really important to clarify those things to them. Yeah. Uh, Now, about the uniqueness of the situation, we have spoken a lot about Gulf. Uh, You live in India, so you know the Indian situation there. I lived in Southeast Asia, so I know it's somewhat similar in Singapore and Malaysia and Hong Kong. Um, and in America and Europe, you do have foreign domestic workers, but they have a lot more rights. I mean, you know, they can use the court system and so on. So in terms of post-COVID scenario, is this a situation particularly acute in the Gulf region and not so elsewhere? Or is this a pretty much a phenomenon wherever we look? I think it's pretty much a phenomenon wherever we look, not just in the Gulf, uh, but also in uh, Taiwan and Malaysia and in the Asia-Pacific region, which depends on domestic workers. And we know in past studies, especially studies done by the ILO, that however bad the economy gets, in fact, the worse the economy gets, the more the dependency on domestic workers, Mm. because more adults from a household have to go out and work. So, I mean, the dependency on domestic workers is going to keep increasing. That's not going to go away because fewer and fewer investments are made in public services for elderly care, child care. All of these are being outsourced to, you know, uh, individuals to take care of themselves. So they go and employ a part-time or a live-in domestic worker. Yeah, and I think you made a very good point in one of your blogs, I think, recently, where you talk about how uh, it exposes them to greater vulnerabilities. It increases their working hours, as you were saying at the beginning of the of our conversation, and it just makes it even harder, um, particularly during the time of COVID. Absolutely. Now, I wanted to ask about, you know, you had a checklist of what you expect of companies to do. uh, um, uh, So what would you like, uh, what what are the six or seven things or five things you expect companies to do in this kind of a situation? I think one of the things that companies should be aware of when they are following workers or when they are... uh, or carrying out pay cuts is to tell the you know tell their staff if they are employing someone to try as best as possible not to pass on that burden and liability because you see I mean uh, uh, if there's an executive earning ten thousand dollars which is a norm in the Gulf you know it's it's a bare minimum and you're paying two hundred dollars to a worker just because you get a twenty percent pay cut doesn't mean you need to pass that on right. so I think that's the key. 
that if you need them, then pay them well. You know, this is not your right to have a domestic worker. Mm. So if it's a privilege, you need to be able to pay for it. Second, make sure that whatever protective uh, equipment you're giving them during COVID, masks, gloves, you know, uh, disinfectants, this should be at the expense of the household because this is part of their work gear. And we're hearing a lot of complaints from workers that they have to pay for it themselves. Mm. And that is really, really unfair because uh, they can't afford to pay 25 rials for a mask or 100 rials for a glo- uh, you know, pair of gloves. Mm. These are things that households should um, pay for. Another thing is, if you're working from home, uh, don't automatically assume that the work, domestic worker is going to be on call 24-7. You might have a late-night work call. That doesn't necessarily mean she has to stay up to take care of your kids. Unless you're paying her overtime with her consent, she's, a, she's willing to do those extra hours, she or he. Um, so being very, very conscious of work hours because when you're at home, you're just going to be more relaxed about your schedule. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, extends to the domestic worker. So her work is going on 24-7, you know. Uh, whereas her work is working from home, regardless of COVID. You shouldn't just make it worse. Um, and the other thing is the off days. Now, this is a huge problem across the Gulf. While the domestic workers law address it, they don't really have any mechanisms to monitor it. So in our research, we found that most domestic workers don't get an off day, a weekly off day, and when they do, they're not allowed to go out. Now, they're in any case not going to be allowed to go out. The least you can ensure is that they do get an off day and they're allowed to spend it as they please. If it's to watch TV or do something or relax, they cannot be on call. They cannot be oh, just a call away and then going to ask them to do something, you know, a one hour job on a Friday. Mm. If you've given them an off day, ensure that that, you know, um, that is maintained. So the off day is really important even before COVID, more so now. Work hours, wages, protection, that's four. And communication with their families. Right. Uh, so we, in, in various, depending on the country, uh, if you take a country like Saudi, the majority of female domestic workers who work inside households, not the male domestic workers who work outside, they do not have access to a telephone. And that's a case across the Gulf. Now, this means you're always dependent on the employer to speak to their family and friends. And this has to go. It is a right. Mm. And they should. um, And bilateral agreements are addressing this, that employers should give them a phone or allow them to hold a phone. So especially now, I think companies need to tell their staff not to interfere or hinder with their communication. And finally, I would say facilitating online payments, uh, remittances back home. If they are unable to open a bank account, Qatar has now said you can open a bank account without a minimum balance Mm. uh, and uh, is encouraging employers to include domestic workers, you know, to open an account for domestic workers. Mm. Not all of the countries have this. So in which case, maybe uh, the employer can help a remit using their own accounts. Uh, until a time that they're able to go out and use a Western Union or a money exchange. Um, so these are very broadly the things that companies can start communicating to their staff who employ domestic workers. And one final thing, we are seeing an increasing trend of people going away from domestic work, uh, live-in arrangement. They prefer hiring freelance workers or workers through cleaning companies to work hourly. Now, this entire sector has been shut down across the Gulf. 
which means a lot of these workers are without a job. They're not getting salaries. They do have accommodation, many of them, but even food is becoming a problem. So if you have a regular cleaning company, you as a business, you use a cleaning company for these services, talk to the cleaning company contractors, see how you can help them mitigate their liability a little bit, where you could probably give them a little bit of money uh, in lieu of work to be done later so that the workers are not affected. Because a lot of big businesses, they do not hire directly for facilities management. That includes cleaning, catering, security. They use subcontractors in the Gulf. Now, those businesses are really affected. And so the bigger companies could play a role in making sure that, you know, uh, again, that's not passed on to the workers, individual workers. Right. And, and I mean, you touched upon a lot of things I was going to ask in my final question, which was what permanent changes you would like to see. So one of my questions is that is it possible for uh, there to be a model contract? So while, it, while one appreciates that the individuals are being employed by the employee and not by the company, but the company is interwoven because of the visa process and so on, uh, that companies should give model contracts to their employees that if you do hire a domestic cook or gardener or yeah. whatever, this is the this is what you are expected to adhere to or I mean, even maybe build in some kind of an incentive mechanism that you will be given these benefits if you adhere to these standards but not otherwise. I'm just asking. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, th these are... Uh, if, if companies can say that, like, you know, we are giving you this allowance, you can adhere to it, it would be great. But meanwhile, um, even before the domestic workers laws came in, we had worked on a, a standard contract based on ILO standards. And some of the companies shared that with their staff and said, try and use this contract. Of course, now there's a lab, uh, there is a domestic workers law in most of the countries and they have their own contract. But we also have given guidance that looks at how to, one of the big issues with domestic work is you don't know how to calculate work hours. You think uh, the child is playing and the nanny is just sitting there, so that's not work. But actually, it is work, mm. even if she's not like you know actively involved. It's work because she's responsible for the child. So how do you calculate work hours? So these are some of the tools we developed, and um, with one particular Gulf country, uh, we're trying to push that through with the government, um, where they can kind of not you know add it as a regulation, where they tell employers. This is how you can make sure the work is not overworked. Some businesses have already started using this, and that could be the practice. But I think the big permanent change um, that we need to see is the, the, the whole visa status. Um, currently, the only model, the monopoly, is live-in domestic work. And that is inherently an extremely exploitative model. There's really no way of making that fair and you know uh, ethical for the worker so you need to give options where there's freelance work and for that the way visas are issued has to change uh, you know Bahrain is experimenting with flexi permit but it's very expensive so it won't really suit the domestic workers need so we need other countries to start looking at an affordable way in which domestic workers can live in a country work in multiple homes but for that you need to have other laws in place you know other civil laws in place criminal laws in place you need to have a strong sexual harassment uh, mm. policy at workplace minimum wages so it's it's you know that's the long term thing but immediately for businesses i think educating their staff uh, is is really important and i don't want this to come up sounding like i said the western employers 
um, are, are probably not aware of their obligations. Right. But the Gulf is such a mix. You have people coming from Asia, from other Arab countries, and people influenced by you know Asian and Arab countries who are citizens. And the worst of the practices, if you visited the Gulf, you'll see with the driving style. Everyone brings the worst of their practices from home mm-hmm. and implemented in the Gulf because no one is regulating these things. Right. So you will see that carryover. You'll see Asian employers behave in a certain way. You'll see Arab employers behave in a certain way. You'll see Western. And all of it is a little problematic because you're not being held accountable. Right. No, it's a, it's, it's not an easy scenario at all. But I think the idea of this model contract that you're talking about and the recognition on part of some employers, at least, to start doing something right and the kind of example that the universities are posting are probably are good building blocks on which one can build forward. So all the best with your work. Thank you so much indeed. Yeah, thank you, Salid, for thank having you. me. Yeah.